Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Time to introduce my first guest. Took out a trainer's license back in 2003. Within a matter of months, had his first success at the top level. Most recent grade one came just a couple of months ago in the Henry VIII Novices Chase at Sandown. And most importantly, I think for him, I'll ask him, <laughs> the milestone of a thousand winners was reached earlier on this week with Ansam. That man is Evan Williams alongside. Um, first of all, congratulations. Four thank figures. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, um, it seems like a lot of water under the bridge. Did you know you were on 999? I've been well briefed by the kids for a long time. <laughs> and uh, look, we, they were counting it down, so it was good to get it. Does that mean that in some ways it, it, it's, a, it's a great family operation and we were delighted to, to go down there on racing TV um, before your, your excellent double at, at Sandown on, on Tingle Creek Day? And, and I got the sense it was a real family operation, but was it the, the wife and kids that were more aware of the um, in approaching thousand than you were, per well, se. They're always more aware of everything that, that is supposed to be made aware of. I just sort of go away in my, my own little world sometimes. Is it fair to describe the, the operation as first and foremost a family-run operation? Oh, 100%. We couldn't do it without everybody involved. You know, there's five of us and we've all got a little job that we do. And I think that's how it keeps rolling, really. Uh, and that is, of course, your, your two girls ride out there. Of course, we saw Isabel um, riding yesterday on, on good old John Constable. Um, your, your wife is very heavily involved. Your son is involved as well behind the scenes. Well, they, just, they run the office and then us three deal with the, with the horses. And that's, that's how it seems to work. They, they stay to their job and we stay to our job. And did you, if I take you right back to, to 2003, was, was that how you envisage things running 17 years on? Oh, look, we didn't envisage anything, really. It sounds unbelievable, really, when you talk about training a 1,000 winners, but all we ever wanted to do is keep our heads above water and survive. And, and that sounds that you're just saying it, but that was the honest truth. It was just an operation that developed. We never set out to be training racehorses. It was just where we ended up. So if we, if we go back... Um, you initially started out training punter chasers, point-to-pointers. Yeah. Uh, that was for how many years before you took out the trainer's license? Oh, we started training point-to-pointers, I think it was 97. We moved to a, a, a place away from where we are now. Uh, a good old boy called Bob Mason bought a place down the road, and we went there. There was a house there, and I had a young family, and the old farming wasn't going great at the time. And the point-to-point riding, it was so different then, you know, but we just started to get rolling I was riding a lot of pointer pointers, and I had the chance to train some, and um, that's how it all kicks off. Riding, riding pointer pointers as a 
as a hobby, not career. You were a, you were predominantly from a farming background, and you were riding point to pointers because you, you thoroughly enjoyed it. You didn't necessarily see that as a career going forward. Didn't see. We we were just farmers who there was always point to pointers around, and that's what you done in those days. You know, running under rules was just something that other people done. It was all very very local, very amateurish, and I just. You could see point-to-pointing was changing and there was a chance that you were going to get paid to train point-to-pointers. And because I was having a bit of a run riding them, you sort of got into it that way. Owners wanted you to train their horse so you could ride it. And that's how we got going. And was foot in mouth, because it must be, a, a, was that 2001, a couple of years before you took up the training license? Was that, was that a catalyst as well for you moving away from farming? Oh, well, it, was a, it all sort of came together, really. I mean, that just killed us. We had two places going, two yards going full of point-to-pointers and foot-to-mouth came in and you couldn't run them. Mm. And I um, had a pile of cattle around me as well and I couldn't sell them. So we couldn't run the point-to-pointers, I couldn't sell the cattle and there was a lot of other things going on. I had to move out from, from the place I was and we had to go and buy a house and everything. So there's a pile of things happened at once and I thought the best way forward is to get a trainer's license and at least then you could keep going 12 months of the year and, and keep rolling an income in. But... Um, it wasn't a plan. It was, as I said, lots of things happened. Well, I mean, it sounds like you were, you were pretty much forced into making a big decision. They, you know, they, they say that people only make big moves like that when, they're, when their back's up against the wall. So oh, were you worried at the time when you, when you made that decision? Well, I'm, I, I never worry, you see. I've just got a great <laughs> habit of making other people worry. And, um, Would the family agree with this? You never worry. I'd say I'm not a worrier myself, but I do, do create a lot of havoc amongst the family with making them worry because I should be worrying, you know. And it was one of those instances, but we ploughed on and, and, you know, that's how it all worked out, really. We just got stuck into it and um, managed to sell cattle, managed to buy a lot of point-to-pointers in Ireland and um, just kept rolling, really. So, so geographically, you, you are now very near where you grew up, or you are where you grew up. Well, I am where I grew up. I went to live there with my grandparents. It's a long, old story. My parents split up and I ended up there with my grandparents. My grandfather died and I took over the tenancy on what was a farm um, opposite to where we are now. Mm. And I um, borrowed a pile of money off the bank, went milking cows and um, got, got stuck into that. You know, I took over the tenancy when I was 18 and um, it was 30 years last year that I started out on my own. But as I said, it was milking cows and, and riding pointer pointers for fun. It was never, ever in my intention to go training racehorses. But, but that sort of, again, it was the first time I'd been down to see you when we came down about um, seven or eight weeks ago. And that, there was a, a, a sort of sense of pride seeing you walking around there. You might, every morning, you've been there for a while, but you must walk out and it must add to it, the, the feeling you get there, given that you've got such history there. I, I didn't want to go anywhere else. The problem we faced when we did get going with the licence is that we were outgrowing the old farm. And... There was a lot of sleepless nights. I suppose the worry came, were we going to have to go elsewhere to train? And I didn't want to go elsewhere. Mm. You know, I was born and brought up in the area. Um, and there was a lot of, I suppose, a typical Welshman, really. You, you want to be home and you feel at home at home. And I wanted to stay there. And I managed to buy a bit of land opposite where I was. And um, I managed to develop where we are now. But, but that was necessity because you were growing. So was there ever a point you reached where before you, you got that extra land, where you thought, maybe size-wise, if I, if I, if I, I want to have a string of 100 horses, I'm going to have to shift on them. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, we were in trouble as far as space was concerned, and 
it was definitely either make where we were better or go elsewhere. And I didn't want to go elsewhere. But, I mean, we, we, there was plenty of times we, there was offers on the table to go elsewhere and, and I was very tempted to take them. But um, I'm glad I'd done what I'd done and stayed where we are. But that, in some ways, when you're making those decisions, that's because you, you, it's a victim of your own success, right? Because you, people are interested and you're training lots of winners. You, I mean, you really hit the ground running. You say that it wasn't the, the plan necessarily to, to... Well, you didn't envisage being as successful as you are, but I mentioned the first grade one came along pretty quickly and you, 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 you got off to a flying start. Well, we did, and that's, that's how the cards fall sometimes, you know, and you, you either roll with it or you don't. And um, we were very, very fortunate that we had a lot of horses that did make the, the step up from point to point as to under rules. And I didn't want to stay still. You know, I did want to go forward and I did want to try challenge myself and, and have a real go at it. Did any part of you when, you, when you started training, doubt, without necessarily you know, growing up within that regime, within a training family, did any part of you doubt whether you could be a trainer, whether you could train racehorses? I never lacked self-doubt. Um, so I, you never lacked self-doubt or self-belief? Never. Uh, well, I, I, never, I never thought anything I've ever done was going to fail, really. Okay. Um, because if you were struggling, I would just get up a bit earlier and go to bed a bit later, you know. And um, I suppose I was hardened to getting on with life and getting on with work. It was never an issue for me. Um, and I suppose what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and that was the attitude we've always had, really. We just kept going on. Not afraid of a, a bit of hard work. And, it, I mean, it, it paid off really well for you um, with, with some of the horses that you had. Were you surprised the quality of the horses that you had, that you had quite early on in your career, the, the deep purples, the states of play, state of play and the like? Well, I mean, you are surprised where they ended up because there was a lot of naivety going into where these horses did, did end up, but you learn pretty quick. Mm. I mean, we, these horses had to deliver. It wasn't the case that we could go jolly hockey sticks and around. Make no mistake, these horses had to win. I mean, I had bills to pay and mortgages to pay, and um, we were out to train winners, and um, we needed them badly. Make no mistake, State of Play winning the Hennessy. Mm. You know, he was he was badly needed to get the ball rolling to get get the money coming in and um, cemented uh, what has become a great association with Mr and Mrs Rucker who owned him and um, and with the, a lad who came there from nowhere, Paul Maloney, yeah. who, who again played a massive part in riding us lots of winners. You and you and Paul with your, your staying chasers in these colours, it sort of became synonymous with the time. Were you aware of that at the time? Well, you, no, not really. You just, As I said, you've just got on with the job, but I make no mistake... I needed state of play, and I needed Paul Maloney, and Paul Maloney needed state of play, and 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 Evan Williams, and and the horse needed us both, and you know without him, things would have been a lot different. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world. 
A warm welcome back to Luck on Sunday. A couple more guests in. Evan Williams is still in situ. I'm pleased to say that jockey Tom O'Brien joins us off the back of uh, an excellent ride and uh, close to a winner with Gardner Victoire yesterday at Cheltenham. And uh, Steve Jones, I'm sure you weren't far for a, a, from a winner yesterday at Cheltenham, Jonesy. Not far, no. I managed to get about 20, 10 feet away, I think. Not, not close, but not far. <laughs> not far. Uh, it was a good day yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, wonderful stuff. I mean, it always is that trials day, isn't it? So plenty of... Uh, Cheltenham Festival clues. I think we can start talking about the Cheltenham Festival now Christmas is out of the way. Some people don't like you talking about it before uh, December. It's, it's well known that we in the media start talking about the next year's Cheltenham Festival on the Saturday after. Does that, as a, as a trainer or jockey, does that, do you ever read it or you hear about it and you think, oh, come on, it's a long way away? Does it, do, do, or are you, are you happy to... Is it for you as much as it is for us in the media such a big thing, Tom? Yeah, definitely. That's how that's how important that that week is, and it seems as though um, so many, so many like horses are just a, well, are it, it, that's their big aim, mm. and um, yeah, it's, it's just how big it is, really. That's what we saw yesterday with plenty of horses running very, very well and, and cementing their their claims. Just on Garde la Victoire, um, when when we get a guest book for luck on Sunday, the ideal is that they, they, they run very well or ideally win a race. And I was rooting for you on Garde la Victoire. He ran a great race, didn't he? Does he just struggle to get home? Yeah, and um, on, on ground as dead as it, as it was yes, yesterday, um, he, yeah, he, he, got the, he, he got into a challenging position and then just didn't, didn't see out the, the last bit, really. Just on uh, you, before we get stuck into to yesterday's action, um, of course, riding Garde la Victoire for, for Philip Hobbs, you right back through your career, has, he's been pretty much an ever-present for you, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I um, first when I first came to England, I went to to work for Mr. Hobbs, and uh, yeah, I've been there ever since 2004. Yeah, it is a it's a, a very special place. It's a, a place steeped in history. Seeing it recently, it's changed ever so slightly. I think they've they've they've, they've added a little bit on, which is great to see. But is it always a special place for you when you go in? Yeah, de- definitely. Like the the it's, it, the juggernaut keeps rolling like it's uh, although it's changed a bit but not masses have changed and uh, it, like uh, he just turns out a lot of winners year in year out and uh, and um, yeah it's, it's it's it is a it's a great team to be a part of gave you your first first of two Welsh national winners yeah he did yeah yeah um, after I broke my legs so that was a uh, it was, it was my first winner back after breaking my femur. So was it really? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I didn't know it was. It was. It was a fantastic story, obviously. But that must have been a great relief for you to get back in the saddle and ride, ride in such a big race and win it. Yeah, that, it was. Um, it was five or six months out, I think, and um, and yeah, it was a. It's a, a big old break, and and um, yeah, to come back and win that was. was it got the ball rolling again. Do you get constantly asked, Evan, when you're going to win a Welsh National? Is that is that is that something that keeps get thrown at you? Yeah, it was. Um, Sorry, it was somewhat of a, re- a relief to see Christian win it this year because <laughs> um, you'd always have um, the journalists going on and on and on about the last Welsh Grand National winner because the old man, my father, he rode the winners on Northern in the point of points, and it was getting a bit boring because yeah. I had to listen to him wax on about it for <laughs> years and years and years. So. I was glad I wasn't second, mine. Yeah, I if I had imagine. been second, I, we were fourth, and I was sort of disappointed. And then I thought, well, at least Christians won it, and um, we had a lot, 
of success together when we started, so it was nice to see him win it. Do you try and find a, a horse for it every year? I mean, is it right at the top of a race you want to win just because you're a proud Welshman, or is that overplayed slightly? That's overplaying it. You, we never run horses in a race just for the sake of running them in a race, really. There's always a, a little bit of thought process behind it, we'd mm. like to think anyway. <laughs> it's not just throwing horses at it because it's the Welsh National. Well, we had three runners in there this year, and they all deserve to be there. Mm. Um, one of them finished fourth, and the others ran respectably. They weren't good enough. But um, we, we'd like to support the race, and I'd like to win the race, but I'd like to win any 100 grand handicap. I don't care where it is. <laughs> not worry where it is. I you'll, don't you'll care, take no. It. I'm very shallow. Um, we, we talk about your 1,000 winners. You're not too far away. You've got about just over 50 to get there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it, and... It's, um, yeah, and you, you do keep an eye on it. It is... It is um, it is something I did keep an eye on when Aidan Coleman and Sam done it last year, and mm. I, I, uh, it is something I, I really wanted to do as well. And uh, I made the start of this season a little bit dis- disappointing because um, if I matched last season, then I'd do it this year. It was uh, I rode 78 winners last year, having missed the last couple of weeks of the season, um, I got a fall, I hit, I got concussed, and um, and so like, well, yeah, I was thinking about it ever since Aidan and Sam done it and I thought two eighties now would do it mm. and um so when I was when I was kinda of well behind um, this winter it got a bit disappointing but I had to just let it go that it's not probably not gonna happen this year and if you I mean if you go back through your your career, I mean your, last year was brilliant, over a million in prize money and you 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 had another Welsh national, another grade one for you. But have you felt throughout the career you have learned to deal with times which have gone up and down, lean spells into into great spells, perhaps you know a, a new association with a new train and you hit the ground running. Have you have you become good at adapting to different times in your life as a jockey? Um, yeah, but like, I probably didn't even realise myself how much I how much I I wanted to do that, and I was um, I was kind of just getting a bit dis- disappointed with um, with how my season was going to to begin with but like um um i i took a break for a weekend and and uh took a break for a weekend and just said like start enjoying it do you, mm. do you know start enjoying yourself and and uh then definitely things happened like um like like well yeah i i took the break before christmas before that things happened like i i fell off that horse at sandown when mm. it was um when there was still time to to get there. It's, 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 you just end up trying trying too hard, um, and uh, yeah, Evan texts me after that saying because he would he would know how dis- disappointed I was. That's the day Evan had his had his Grade One winner, and um, yeah, but the, but I took a weekend off and said, look, just start enjoying yourself, and and uh, and over the Christmas period and rode some decent races and. Uh, um, yeah, so got, trying to get the ball back rolling, really. In the end, that was all overshadowed by the last race, anyway. So there you go. <laughs> which oh, was, yeah. which was, it was, it was really a very dramatic day at Sandown. Of course, it was. Yeah. Um, and you, t- I mean, you've you've partnered up with with great success in the past. That you've ridden over fifty times, rather. Yeah, I have. Yeah, plenty of winners. Is he, is he exactly how he describes himself? He is. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> <laughs> Judging by what he said, you're not going to say anything else by the sounds of it. Otherwise, you'll get you'll 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 get the abuse in the kitchen. So there you go. I went absolutely flat out on his juvenile hurdler at Cheltenham. I, <laughs> I was just in the younger days, and Evan just said, "I want you to get a good start, um, be up there." And then I was I went out 
Here we go. Engines were revving, and but but he he won his Grade One at Punchestown, and probably a a couple of Swinton hurdles. So you definitely uh, <laughs> achieved everything you should have done with the horse, anyway. He learned a lot that day, didn't he? The horse. So really, it's down to this man. Oh, look, look, Tom is has always been a a lad that I go to if I needed somebody elsewhere. You know. Mm. Um, the day in Sandown, I, I, we'd had a great day, and I knew that he'd be a bit down in the dumps. Mm-hmm. I just dinged him a text saying I'd find him a winner, you know. And um, they've got a tough job, these lads. You know, it's a lonely old existence when something like that happens. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're up on a high, you forget about people who perhaps haven't had such a good day. And um, I just think it's sometimes nice you you feel better in yourself if you can help somebody just by i don't know giving them a bit of a a lift rather than celebrating your own success perhaps mm, absolutely it was a it was a, a great day for you and um uh, we've reflected on that it was a great day for plenty of um runners and riders at cheltenham yesterday uh, in particular for uh connections to santini after a brilliant performance in the, the cotswold chase um jonesy where were you with this horse before or after sandown coming into this race before this race, I, I thought that um, it was priced up on potential over substance, to be honest, because Bristol to my, it's obviously a really, he's just off the top class third in the Gold Cup, won the couple of bet fair chases, and Santini had the promise, but uh, we saw that the cream came to the top quite, you see Topfield Ben there just, what, two lengths behind, and at the line there about 30 lengths in front of him, so um, we're dealing with two very high-class horses, one that's proven it and one that looks very likely to. And it is, Jumping was a bit disorganised at times, but he's a great big horse, isn't he? And uh, I think he can only keep improving. And what he's got on his side is that he wins through stamina. And the Gold Cup, for me, is won by stamina more often than, than it is won by speed. And uh, he's a horse that now, for me, is the, the number one British contender for the Gold Cup because his stamina is a lot stronger than both Calanders Oboe and Lost in Translation. Nicky Henderson, who we're going to be talking to very shortly, he, he spoke after the race about if it was better ground on the Gold Cup day on the day, then it, it wouldn't be any problem for this horse if anything would be a good thing. You, you rode in a race there yesterday on the chase course. What was your assessment of the ground? It was very dead ground. It was quite hard work. Um, yeah, it was just soft, dead ground, really. So when we talk about very testing ground, which often is run on this day, heavy testing ground, it's it's not crossing over in that, but it's still brought stamina hugely into play over whatever trip you're running over. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like so sometimes if it, if it was a bit wetter, it could be easier to get through. But like, yeah, it was it was quite dead yesterday. As far as um, this horse's credentials, Evan, for a for a Gold Cup, did you like what you saw there? He stays very well, doesn't he? And I think that's very important in a Gold Cup. I don't think there's any doubts about his stamina. Mm. I suppose he could lack a gear in the early part of the race if you're going to be really picky. But he's run very well in the um, the novice race last year. I thought the Greyhorse... I've probably been a bit stupid, but I think the Greyhorse might have been unlucky a bit yesterday. Because of the error three out? Or? Well, it, he's gone and ballooned the first. I mean, the horse looked big and fresh and well. I mean, beautiful horse anyway. But I think that the grey horse will run better racing the Gold Cup 
than you know than people think. I, I thought you ran well there last year, and I I've got a lot of time for that grey horse. I thought he ran a good race yesterday. It's uh, it just on on him on Bristol to my. It's it's that age old thing of why you can't have him at Cheltenham. But he finished third in the Gold Cup, and it, you know it's that it's. Perhaps at the top level there are other horses that prefer it, but you'd, you'd struggle, wouldn't you, to say he doesn't like the track? He's got, he's got a fine record at Chow. I think he's second in the, what's the Mars Chase now, the GALT that he used to be, third in the Gold Cup. I mean, you'd, you'd love horse like that, wouldn't you? Run, run around Cheltenham like that. Yeah, he's a good horse. I don't, and you look at him, I mean, he was... Um, I just got a funny feeling that you could find a few lengths next time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He went down to the the first and he's gone and let rip at the first. And um, you can be bold, and the trainer would love to be bold, wouldn't he? You know, Nigel be revved. And um, <laughs> if they go quarter a gear quicker, which can happen in mm. a Gold Cup, the winner of that race might just find himself out of his comfort zone a little bit lost in no man's land in that middle part of the race and um, it'll be interesting Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai Welcome back to Luck on Sunday you've heard our thoughts on Santini who won the Cotswold chase yesterday and it would appear that all roads lead to the Gold Cup back there on that Friday in March. But we want to hear Nicky Henderson's thoughts. We did so after racing yesterday and he's had a, another night to dwell on that performance. Nicky, welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, no, great, thank you. And you? Yeah, really good. I, I buoyed genuinely being at Cheltenham yesterday by that performance from Santini. I think the race as a whole gave us everything we wanted with um, the, the, the two top-rated horses and the, the 170 rated Bristol Demay and, and your boy really serving it up to each other. What was your assessment of, of the performance of Santini? I, I think it's... No, I was, I was really pleased with him. I mean, good old Bristol Demay, he is a, he's a very, very solid benchmark um, that loves soft ground. You know, and he's a tough nut to crack and you know, there was a moment when we thought it looked if we'd got away from him and then he came back and probably headed us again after the last. You know, so it was a proper, it was a really good race. Um, and they came well away from the others, which was fair enough. Um, to be fair, it's his sort of first, it's his first real tough race of the season. I know he ran in that intermediate at Sandown and... Probably ours were just needing a run quite badly at the time, and he wasn't earth-shatteringly impressive, to be honest with you, with what should have been a, a fairly simple task. So we had to start again a little bit, and you know, for now, for this, he's, he has been really well the last three weeks, and he he's always thrives on work. You can't give him enough. Um, the, you know, and the, the more he gets, the better and brighter he seems to become. Uh can we just jump back to to last year's um, RSA, if if we can, and, and everything that went into that, um, and and the issues that you had? Sort of, where was he going into that compared to where he might be twelve months on? Well, I mean, I'm just praying that this time we get a a clean run. I mean, the the, the problem started actually with vaccinations because that he was due to run in the Reynoldstown as a preparation for the RSA and we had to he had to have a flu vaccination on the Monday morning when the whole thing came out that we had to revaccinate 
so he couldn't run in the Reynoldstown. So he didn't get, and he'd only had two runs over fences coming into the RSA. And then we had horrible problems with his feet, um, which, you know, are, are, are an issue with him, to be fair, but we're on top of him. Mick Alfari has done a brilliant job with him. And, um, you know, the whole of the three weeks before, having missed the Reynolds down, he needed to work and he couldn't. Um, and which we hardly got him to Cheltenham, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, so it was a fantastic, you know, to, to run a race like he did um, on the on the back of that preparation was was amazing. Whereas he did come into yesterday's race in in good nick, but with plenty of room for improvement. And I, I think yeah, I'd like to think that will that that should put him. You know, the timing is great. That's why this trials day is on this day. It's a, it's a, it's great timing for the festival. And I'm interested as to to why this race for this horse in perhaps comparison to your, your previous Gold Cup winners that most recently the likes of Long Run and Bob's Worth what, what was it about this race as opposed to say the Denman chase that you wanted to run this horse in um, I don't know I think he, he obviously he, he liked Cheltenham last year he enjoyed it again yesterday his jumping is is solid and seeing him and Bristol to my you know jumping around there like that yesterday is is what it's all about they're two real good steeplechases jumpers of fences um, and they they put up a great display, I thought. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, the timing is good. I mean, we haven't used it in the past, um, except, according to the my paper yesterday, it tells me that we actually won the first ever running of it in about 1910 <laughs> with a horse called Raffy Nelson, mm. which brings back a lot of memories. Apparently, it was, that was the first ever Cotswold chase. Uh, he dis- he certainly didn't win the Gold Cup and was never likely to, to be honest with you. But, I mean, it's become a good trial. I know that now everybody says, historically, it hasn't actually produced a Gold Cup winner. Um, I don't know. I don't think... I'm not particularly fussed about stats like that. It just... It was a race that Susie does. Richard, Calvin Hughes and I, I mean, we pinpointed it a long time ago, really, when... It was the first race after the King George that he could run in. Mm. And it was all a matter, actually, of whether, you know, we, we wanted to wait for this to see whether Altior was going to be a Gold Cup horse. Had he run in the King George, you know, he might have come into the Gold Cup picture. We obviously know he's not now, so it's left, um, you know, it leaves Santini on his own to represent us. It, it, I mean, there's no issue with. You know, Nico can, is obviously going to be able to ride him, um, hopefully, nothing going wrong. And, you know, it's, it's all roads are going to take us there with a bit of luck and the following wind and hope that, you know, we get a good run into it. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Turn our attention and move on to Paisley Park. Um, two, I think the crowd, of course, Santini headed the betting, and, and if you'd have asked most in the crowd there, well, they'd like to see, well, Santini winning that and, and, and Paisley Park winning the um, Stairs Hurdle trial, the, the Cleave, as he did 12 months ago. Different feelings, I think, Emma Bell pointed out, particularly coming into last time and this time, with a horse who is the established champion and... and that I wonder, Evan, just heaps on that little bit more pressure to you as a trainer, but he answers all of his questions. Oh, there's, there's, 
It's a different type of pressure though. There, there's no real pressure with a horse like this because you know he's the best in the grade. Um, the pressure will be having a clear run with him and hoping nothing goes wrong between now and Cheltenham, but mm. it'll be more enjoyment than pressure. You know, um, count the days down. Hopefully everything will go smoothly. Uh, he's a horse that's got a great following now and um, he runs his race like a proper staying herder. He's behind the bridle. Look at his old ears there. He's happy as Larry. And um, I thought the second horse ran a great race. Yeah. I think that he could go and get placed in a stay as hurdle. Um, I think they're two smashing horses, the first and the second. And, and one thing we saw straight afterwards was pretty much everyone to a man came up and, and shook Aidan Coleman by the hand. It, it, it seems, public-wise, weighing room-wise, that was just a popular winner on the day. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, every, everyone wants to to see him like go and <clears throat> keep his crown and and, he, and like it, he's doing all the right things to to look like he's going to to do that. When we talk about a horse like that, just off it a little bit at the top of the hill, that flat spot, then pricking his ears and running on up the hill. He's he. I mean, he does just that as a lot of horses in this division have done in the past. He he seems to fit that bill pretty well. He loves that Cheltenham Hill, doesn't he? Yeah, similar to how Big Bucks used to used to do it. He had a running run style um, similar to that, um, but you can do it both ways. That um, wasn't wasn't very strongly run throughout, and there was a, a lot of them with a chance at two out and picked up. And he done it that way as well. And when they go fast from the word go, he can get there late. It seems he can do it um, do, do it either way, you know. Mm. Um, with with the, the thing when he gets there, he pricks his ears and the, and like doesn't go away from him really so he, he, he's got plenty left yeah he, he seems to, to save a fair bit for himself a man that knows the, the most about that probably is the, the man that rides him that's Aidan Carmen who joins us on the line um, Aidan many congratulations yesterday it was uh, a great atmosphere particularly when you, you came back into the winner's enclosure yeah thanks yeah thanks very much Tom yeah it was um, yeah great great day um, you know it's always it's always uh, great to get to, to ride Paisley on the race course it doesn't happen very often because it's his uh, his schedule is mapped out early in the year, and um, you know every day you get on him is special, and, and as long as he keeps winning, we're all happy. How? What was the feeling when, of course, he he didn't run for his um, latest latest engagement, and Emma Lavelle came out and said, "Look, we're 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 always sorry when you don't run a champion, but we feel it was the the right decision." So to to have that initial uh, disappointment, I'm sure it was for you, but to to come out and do this must have been very special, perhaps all the more special. Well, yeah, I was there that day myself at Ascot, and I, I, I did walk the track with Emma and Barry, and, and he was, uh, you know, the, the, the inspection hadn't even taken place at that stage, so he was still up in the air whether the race, the race would have been even on, and uh, it was 100% the right decision. So you could look at it as disappointing, or you could just get in the car and go home and realise that you know you've done the right thing. So as far as Ascot is concerned, it was a shame, but you know there was no regrets or anything like that. That was just that was just the right thing for the horse and. Um, um, we had every confidence he'd go and, and win yesterday, and he did. So uh, that's what he seems to be doing at the moment, and, and long may continue. And he did look really fresh in the in the paddock walk around beforehand, just on his toes a bit. I mean, is that him? Was that because of the sort of elongated absence a little bit? Were you were you always happy when you got on him? Oh yeah, yeah. I think he's a better horse this year. I think he's um, he's travelling better in his races. He's jumping better. Although jumping was never a problem, he's much more bold and and, and much. Um, He's much more aggressive down the hurdle now, which is which is brilliant. He was always probably slightly on the cautious side, um, which he was very good at. So it was never never any resemblance of a problem. But you know, this year he just seems to be um, bigger and stronger, for lack of a better expression. And uh, 
you know, I think that reflected in his performance yesterday and, and that Newbury. Does he ever give you a, a fright mid-race? No, I, you know, no, no. He, he, problem is people people uh, people seem to misunderstand this flat spot with with with, uh, with being a speed issue. It's you know he he is very fast. He is very fast, and if if there was no steroid hurdle, for example, and he was forced to run the champion hurdle, it would be it wouldn't it would be interesting. Um, just because he hits the flat spot and he races behind the bridle, don't don't yes, it's just people just don't uh, don't interpret that as him being slow because um, when he gets going, he's got gears. So I'm I'm fascinated as to the the point where he he does it, where other stairs hurdle winners have done it before. I mean, is that is that a, a him trait? Is it a nature of the track, perhaps that 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 they just quicken and and that's it, that's where he might hit a flat spot? Do you, do you know when you go out where he might where he might do it, where he might hit that spot? Well, no, it's uh, I suppose when you're riding them, it's it's different. Um, you know, on the TV, you know, obviously you can only see what what I'm doing, but I can feel it throughout the race, and he's always um, yes, this. this this year has been different. Um, uh, first and foremost, you know that Newbury wasn't really there, and yesterday wasn't really there. But if you're going back to last year, he's always kind of in that flat spot. You're always kind of have your leg on him. You're always kind of squeezing him along, and you know giving him a click every now and then. And then you know might you might have to get a little bit more animated in in parts. But it, he's always kind of in that in that kind of in that frame of mind. Um, that said, this year this year has been different. Um, you know, he, he I had to give him a little shake up at the, at the, you know, the back of the second last, but that was more for race and tactical reasons more than, and then you know, a, a Paisley Park flat spot. That was just because Johnny had slowed it down at the at the right time for him and the wrong time for the rest of us. And instead of us kind of rushing around to to go on and 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 kind of force him to race, um, we we stayed in behind him, which is what a lot of us had to do. So Johnny rode the race yesterday to suit himself, and and that's why. Um, uh, we had to kind of get after him a bit more because when when Summerville boy kicked off the bend, um, you know any horse would have been flat out. You know he's a, he's a top class horse, so we were we were trapping then down to the last, and and said I was going quicker than them because I made up ground and passed them. I mean, it it did look. I know he's not the flashiest horse necessarily, but it it did look relatively comfortable at the line. Did you feel that? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was he was never going to win in the bridle, no matter what price short price he was, or no matter what horse was second. Uh, that, that, that's what you're going to get with Paisley and, and, um, and you know Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai Delighted to say that Patrick Mullins joins us on the line um, Patrick welcome to, sh- to the show how are you? Very good Tom thanks very much uh, we spoke to you this time last year, actually looking ahead to the the, the Dublin Racing Festival and and, and uh, reacting to some excellent performances from uh, yours and your dad's horses this time last year. And you must have been delighted with what Benny de Dieu did in the Gourmet. Yes, uh, she was awesome. Uh, she was awesome. Now, um, I mean, obviously, once that was Jade underperformed, there wasn't maybe a whole pile to beat her. And Hill is a long way off from his best. And Kolodovic hasn't got back to his punchstone form yet either. Um, but the way she did it on her seasonal debut was uh, was jaw-dropping. It was as good a performance probably as she's <clears throat> she put in right up there with her with her French stuff and hurt her with. Is it fair to say whether or not she is the best mare that, that you've ever had in the yard? Is she possibly the most versatile given what she's done over different trips, over fences, over hurdles? Yeah, with Room to a Mag would have been, would have been very versatile as well. Um, I suppose we didn't give uh, Annie the the chance to, to jump a fence, but she probably would have. But um, she she can she can do two miles, three miles fences, good ground, soft ground. Uh, she's 
Uh, she's she's an incredible incredible mare now, and she can be a little fragile at times. And Dick Dowling, who's our head man and who um, looks after and rides out, does a, a fabulous job with her. And with regard to the Cheltenham Festival, um, which we're now in full obsession with, of course, um, your, your your dad did mention the Stayers Hurdle. Of course, we know what happened last year in the mares. Did did Cheltenham yesterday have? have any impact would that have had any impact on, on where she might head and the fact that Paisley Parker again looked fantastic in, in winning the cleave? Um so of course to take it on take it on board. I mean Paisley Park looks an absolute weapon of a horse. Um you know he, he's built from that mould of big boxing retriever he's he seems to be very laid back and it just does enough. Um I don't know. I mean look everyone knows when he makes decisions very very late uh, but you know he raised the possibility. Mm. And there's no doubt she'd have the ability to go there. I mean, the French seven hurdle over, is over three miles, and the mare should be there. The Boncourt has won 13 over 16 races. She's um, she's no uh, back number, so it would be a fantastic race to take on Paisley Park. But um, you know, Willie's usual plan has been win the races you can. So the mare's hurdle, um, the mare's hurdle. You know, it's hard to hard to leave it behind. So. Mm. We'll have to just uh, see how things are near the time. Um, nice problems to have, as ever, with, a, with, with such a, a fantastic mare as she is. Uh, a line on total recall, it, it's, it's, it's not been easy necessarily to get him back, has it? But um, uh, first of all, great training performance, I suppose. Yes, I mean, he's 11 now. Um, he's not an easy horse at home. He's uh, uh, Justin Hannafin rides him, and you know, he can bolt and he can. Um, uh, he's, he's a few chips short that male, I think, um, but he's got a lot of ability. And I thought Danny gave him a fabulous ride. Um, you know, he uh, using those big handy chases. You need to get away handy. But when I rode him in the Irish National last year and bounced out the gate, he he was he did too much early on. So Danny's dropped him in, got him into a rhythm, got him jumping because he's not a big horse. And mm. um, he's made a bit of a mistake at the second last. But the change of gear he showed from the third last to the second last. Um, you don't often see that in a staying handicap chase. And he's very good at the last end, but. Um, you know, I'm not sure how many horses win three major handicap chases. You know, like to win the Munster National, the Tyson Chase, and the, the Labro Trophy. It's a very unusual achievement. Um, so he's that uh, the Burns are getting great pleasure out of owning him. Um, is it, uh, was that a, a target for him this year, or is there something at the back end of the season you, you think he'll definitely turn up in? Uh, there wasn't really that. That was we were taking it race by race with him. To be honest, at 11 years old and a horse who looked pretty exposed. Um, he's ran the national. He didn't jump particularly well. Paul rode him the national, but he, like I said, he's not a big horse. Um, and I mean, he probably get an entry there, but yeah, the last time he ran there, he didn't look to love it. So um, you know, he could go back to Irish national again, perhaps. Probably, you know, all those staying any of chases um, are, are probably on the on the radar. Mm. Uh, just a, a look ahead to the a couple of horses we're looking forward to seeing next weekend. Um, yourself and, and Sharjah are likely to line up? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully go back to Leopardstown with him. Uh, he's in great form. I rode him the other day. Uh, you know, obviously Leopardstown suits him. It's quite a free-draining course and the, the drier ground um, really helps Really helps him. So, uh, Classic Dream is, is in great form as well. He'll probably go back there also. And... Um, you know, I wouldn't give up on Classical Dream at all. You know, the mistake he made the last day obviously knocked him out of the race and you just draw a line through that run. So, uh, And if Honeysuckle turns up, I mean, it, it could be it could be a fabulous race. He, 
it looks a serious race, doesn't it? Um, and what about um, what about Kenboy? What were your, your reaction to Santini first of all? Did, did, were you sort of looking over with with your two or three for the Gold Cup, thinking, well, how impressed were you with Santini first of all? I was very impressed. Um, obviously, he ran very well in the RSA last year. He showed he stays. Um, obviously, he stays. But I mean, you know, in the Gold Cup, that's 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 a, a big card to have. Uh, Bristol Le is a very good horse in his day. Um, so I mean, they got a hard race now. They went at it on heavy ground a long way around, and uh, I think that's you know, like I said, Leperstown. I know there's another worry about the ground being too quick, but it, at least it's not going to be bottomless heavy. And I think that's an advantage for our horses with a view to next month. And uh, and Ken Boyle is he set to line up? He is. He's in great form. Um, Ruth Dudfield is very happy with him at home. You know. I think a lot of our horses have needed their first run this year. I think Shaq and Bersois and Kenboy were two uh, that needed that Christmas. Alaho, <coughs> likewise, mm. um, you know, he saw how much he came on from Christmas, and I think Kenboy would do something similar. Uh, to me, he, he ran a cracking race. He, he he just blew up coming down to the last, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if he turned all that form around next week. Mm. Now, that was a, 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 a nice enough reappearance, it seemed, in that race won by... Um, Delta work um, and Shacken, as, as you say, he he's likely to line up in the Dublin Chase. You were happy enough with what you saw him behind Aplutar? Yeah, look, we were disappointed to get beaten. Obviously, um, disappointed to get beaten. But like I said, a lot of our horses have come on considerably for their first run, um, and he jumped spectacular. I mean, for a horse, he's only had three runs over Irish fences. I think he ran in one chase in France. And um, so, with a horse with so little experience, uh, the jump he put in the third last, the ditch Leprechaun. Uh, was fantastic, but he's not, he probably needs him to run, you know, to get that experience going. Champ Chase, even going there off the back of four or five chase runs, I, I'm not sure what the stats are on that, but seems to jump, jump very well. Um, mm. But again, he looked like he just blew up. Plutard had a run, Henry's horse around fire, and uh, you know, I think perhaps as well, we, you know, I think Rachel probably got the box seat there in behind our tree, and our our tree horse jumped off and. They kind of ran out of keen up past the stands first time, I think, um, which probably didn't help the end of the race. Um, so I'd be expecting to see a different animal. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. The three, the, the world's best race horses, Enable, Wildgeist and Crystal Ocean, who all had form in with each other. Uh, there was also the Longines World's Best Horse Race. That was the Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, where, of course, Wildgeist downed the Enable colours, if you like. But great, she's going to head back to, uh, for another go at the Arc this year. So very much looking forward to that. And the best person to, to talk to about that and more, and all things handicapping, he'll be delighted to know, is the uh, ex-head handicapper at the BHA and now co-chair of the World's Best Racehorse Rankings Committee. Did I get that right, Phil Smith? Absolutely bang on, Tom. Yeah. I'm delighted with that. <clears throat> Good. Um, so, so you were there on Wednesday, of course you were. Um, how much, Phil, welcome to the show, how, how much goes into to the decision-making? When is it that you all, as a committee, come together and start to, to see where you are with the ranking? Okay, so it's an on ongoing process throughout the year. So every time a pattern race is run anywhere in the world, it goes on, a, on we have an interactive computer system. Uh, the race is downloaded. Um, for example, the two races in America last night will have mm -hmm. been downloaded this morning. And the various handicappers around the world have an opportun opportunity to put their figures on. 
Um, you can see what other people think. You can make your own mind up. Um, <clears throat> and then they'll get sort of changed slightly as the year goes on, as the form works out or it doesn't work out. And then we meet in uh, Hong Kong for seven days in the early, early December, during the time of the international races. And we argue it out, basically. Uh, so, for example... When, when you say we, uh, how many nations, how many different There's around 20. Okay. Um, so you can imagine 20 handicappers, all with pretty strong opinions. It's, it takes a bit of managing. That's my job nowadays. I'm the sort of neutral co-chairman now, um, which is great. And um, we, we argue it out. Basically, what happens is, for example, on, on Volkgeist, um, the French handicapper would state his case for Volkgeist. The English handi handicapper would state his case for Enable and Crystal Ocean. Previous years, the Australian handicapper would state his case for Winx. There would be questions, there would be different opinions, and eventually it would come to a vote. Now, I'm interested by that. Is it a case of the, you mentioned the French handicapper, the British handicapper, Australian handicapper, are they effectively batting for a side? Well, they're batting for what they believe is the correct opinion or, uh, or assessment of, them, of themselves, because they will have presumably, certainly in Britain, we would have always had you know, quite a lot of meetings within the team and discussions on the phone before we ever went to... Uh, to Hong Kong, and we would have already discussed it with every well, sort of in the handicapping team in GB. So that's the first process, and then they come and they say, OK, this is what I think uh, this horse should be, and they would state the case as to why. So are they batting for them? They're stating the case for the figure that they believe is right for their horse. And, and you as an individual, have you ever had your... <clears throat> your mind changed as a result of a discussion because it, 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 watching and knowing racing internationally as you do you must go in there with a preconceived idea of, of what's going to happen do, do, have you found that in perhaps this year or in past years somebody said something and you've gone actually do you know I, I will just adjust that absolutely and that's the whole purpose of it if you go in with a closed mind there's no point in having it you may as well just have a vote straight away so that the whole purpose is to discuss it and uh, other people will uh, take perhaps a different view um, uh, and you, you absolutely have to consider it and make your mind up at the end before you start to vote. There were three horses at the top. Of course, there were more horses involved in it, and there was a top ten as well. We can have a look at that. Uh, you had Enable, Valgeist and Crystal Ocean, uh, then uh, Beauty Generation, uh, Batash, Elise Gracieux, Gaiath Vinaroso, Winks, Glorivars, and Ben Battle in there. Um, I suppose we're... I'm most interested in the fact that you couldn't split three at the top, Enable, Valgeist and Crystal Ocean, whose form all tied in with each other. Uh, first question. The world's best racehorse, Longitude world's best, sorry, horse race. I'm doing a Matt Chapman. The world's best horse race, not race horse, was um, the Qatar Pridolata Triumph. Sure. Therefore, why wasn't Valgeist winner of that race the world's best race horse? OK. Um, well, first of all, the the... the race itself, for example, the arc, that's uh, an arithmetical exercise. So basically, once we come up with our figures uh, at the end of the meeting in Hong Kong, uh, what uh, someone then will do is they'll look at the first four in the pre de de Triumph, they'll look at their ratings, they'll add them all up and divide by four, and that's the rating given for the pre de de Triumph. And it's the way all pattern races are assessed around the world. So in terms of you know, when races get promoted and relegated, it's based on the average of the first four home. So that, and that's common throughout the world. So that's an arithmetical process, whereas the world's best race horse, uh, as opposed to race, 
is much more analytical. Uh, you will compare form, uh, and, and it has been the case in the past that, w that we've been unable to separate two horses. A few years mm -hmm. ago, we couldn't separate. So it has happened before. It's the first time there's ever been three at the top together, but there's been a number of occasions where there's been three on 128. There's three on 120. This year just happened to be the best, mm -hmm. but there's been a number of occasions where there's been three on 128. I was interested in your, looking at your caption there. There's about nine on 126. You know, and that's, it's very, very difficult to separate them. We, we've, we've assessed something like 300-odd horses, and they go from 128 to 115. So there's always a lot of horses on the same rating. Does it feel a little bit less satisfactory, or are you frustrated when you can't find one? I'm not saying it's wrong at all. I understand how you've come to the decision, but do you go into it with the ambition or the hope you can find one? No, you, you do what you think is right, and if it happens that two come out the same or three come out the same, then so be it. You know, you have to go through the process and not prejudge things. So, you know, my job is just to ensure fair play, make sure everybody has an opportunity to speak, and then my last major job is when there's a tied vote, I have a casting vote. So, and that was taken not on any of those horses, but I had a casting vote on nine horses this time. So that's the only time I get involved in the voting now that I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a neutral. So no, I don't think we, we do do that. If, if it comes out that the best three uh, are, the, you know, are all, all equal, then so be it. I haven't really got a problem with that. The one thing I would say is I think that all three of them were slightly unlucky in a different way in that the quality of the three-year-olds that they came up against this year was without question the lowest that we've ever had. You know, the highest rate is uh, three-year-old is Sotsas, mm. and he's on 123. So the, you, you, tend, you, get, you get higher ratings when you run against higher-rated horses and they push each other onwards and upwards. So I think it was slightly unlucky for all three of those. For me, potentially, I think they were probably all three better than 128, but the way that races have uh, occurred, they really didn't have the opportunity to show how much better they were, and I think a really good, strong batch of three-year-olds would have pushed them onwards and upwards, and they would have been maybe 29 or 30, and maybe then we could have been able to differentiate between them. Because you have to remember that if you look at the results of these three horses, they all did beat each other at various different times. Well, that's, but that's what I mean. I mean, if, you know, if you're looking at this as a, and, it, and it's not a commercial venture per se, but if you're looking at sure. it commercially, and, and I, I expect to so-and-so down the whatever. Oh, you remember Enable beat Crystal Ocean in the, in the King George? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're both the world's best racehorses. He said, mm. what? Well, that's not... But, of course, that was the on-running argument into the, the race, that he was rated higher than her. But that's the mayor's allowance, which, 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 which you have to measure. On that race, he comes out the better horse. On the King George? On the King George, he comes out the better horse because he's given her three pound and she's beaten him a neck. So that's his best performance. But, but, it's not necessarily her best performance. So you have to... There's no sort of um, personal opinion on how easily she did it or, or what yes, the ground was yes, that there was. day. There was, a, there, was a, there is a value judgment on that. And actually, I think most of the handicappers, instead of calling the neck uh, one pound, I think a lot of the handicappers call the neck two pounds. Because if you look at the last 50 yards... You know, she was always holding him, and it wasn't an absolutely, you know, thrashed out, all out neck. You know, so actually, uh, when you take the Phillies allowance in, pretty well everybody had him on 128 and her on 127 in that race. 
but they, we found out that we could get a higher in a different race. The, 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 the key principle to always remember is this is the, the, the rankings are a horse's best sustainable performance. So can you prove it? Is it was it sustained? And it can be sustained in two ways, either by the horse itself or by the horses that it finished alongside. So very often, in fact, it was a, year, a few years ago, where a horse didn't actually replicate it itself, but the second, third, fourth, fifth, all, all did. And so we still gave that horse the uh, accolade of, the, of, of a particular rating. So it's a little bit more uh, complex than adding four figures up and dividing by four. Mm. I'm just I'm interested as to, to where you stand on the, on the Phillies allowance, the mayor's allowance as is, because of course we go into every year in the Qatar Free Lot of Triumph and say, well, where's the three-year-old filly? Because she's going to be getting nine pounds and they do have a very good record in it. Mm-hmm. You at your time in the, the BHA um, made changes to the weight for age Sure. scale while you were there. I think both flat, uh, flat hand jumps, is that right? Sure. Uh, I mean, are you happy with the, with the Phillies allowance as it stands on the flat? Well, the Phillies allowance isn't a handicapper's decision. That's, a, uh, that's taken by individual jurisdictions. You know, so, so people are different from me whether, believe whether the Phillies should or shouldn't have a, an allowance. And it varies from all, all over the world. For example, it's £3 here. Uh, but if you go to uh, lots of the Southern Hemisphere countries, it's two kilos, which is 4.4. And I did notice last night in America it was £5. So it varies you know, from everywhere around the world. If, what, what do you believe is the, is the, the right one, if you like? Uh, f- I believe in, in, in a perfect world, in Group 1s, I wouldn't give the Phillies allowance at all. Mm-hmm. That's just a personal view. Um, but I totally accept why they do, because the great thing that it provides is that they run against the boys. And, and it adds to our excitement. So, you know, they're seduced into the race by a sex allowance. And as a result, we've had the benefit of Zarkava, Zenyatta, Winks, etc., Enable. <coughs> Would those horses have run in those all-aged, all-sex group ones without the Phillies allowance? And I suspect the answer is probably no. So the individual jurisdictions around the world, they've made a decision that Phillies should get uh, a sex allowance in Group 1s. And from a personal point of view, I wouldn't, but I totally understand why they do so. But in terms of actually looking at the intrinsic merit of a horse, we have to take that into account. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.